Let's open our Bibles tonight and um, the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. Look what the Lord has for us tonight, 2 Kings chapter 5. Look what it says there. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance into, unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, valor uh, and he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's, Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, With God, my Lord, with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid, that is, of the land of Israel, that the king of Syria said, Go go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took him, uh, took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have there, therewith sent Naaman with my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had, uh, read the, uh, had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make a life that this man thou sent unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Shall we pray, Heavenly Father? Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. As we look at this uh, Second uh, Kings chapter 5, Lord, I just pray, Father, give us something we can uh, take home, we can apply to our lives tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, so tonight is the title of the message, what, what do you got to lose? Sometimes, you know, it happens things in our lives and we are doubtful. We say, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go do this? I don't know how I should do that. And it comes to a situation is like, what do you got to lose? Might as well just do it. You know, if you do it, it doesn't work. Well, but if you do it and it works, good for you. In this case, like this man right here, he had leprosy. What was going to happen to him? He was going to die. So go to the land of Israel. If it doesn't work, well, at least you try it. But if it works, you receive a blessing. So something like, what, are you, what you got to lose to go there and do that? So tonight when uh, I want to introduce you to a man named Naaman and, and, and an event that, that forever changes life, of course, I want to tell you the story of how this man humbled himself before the command of the Lord and received grace and healing. In the process, I want to share with you how you too can have the things that Naaman received. I may be speaking to people today who have never truly, oh, well, no, nobody here may be online. Maybe some, some people online tonight never really received Jesus as Savior or have a relationship with Him. But I'm primarily speaking tonight with, to God's people. So I pray that you consider this text tonight, how we can learn 
from a story, in a, in a story that's in the life of a person in the Old Testament, how can we apply this or make some application out of this passage to us? So the healing of Naaman, the leper, is not just a story of the healing of a man for one of the most uh, dreadful diseases in the ancient times. Leprosy, it was like, uh, it was like cancer today for many people. It's just a dead sentence. It is also a story of salvation for which illustrates the spirit salvation uh, man finds only in Jesus Christ alone and how men come to find their salvation in the Lord. So in Amen's healing, there's a variety of people who play different parts here. Some good and some vital to the salvation and the healing of Naaman right here and others not, not so good. All illustrate uh, the various uh, good and evil persuasions of people that either or, or uh, help us or hinder the work of the Lord sometimes. As we step in the scene right here, we leave the land of Israel, a nation that was to be a light to the Gentile nations and uh, in a nation of priests, and we step into Syria to the north of, of uh, a heathen pagan, of course, a, uh, a nation surrounded of darkness, a place of idolatry and heathen blindness. So in these verses, there is a anticipation of the gospel that would go out from Israel through, the, uh, through Messiah or through the Messiah and then out of the church carrying the light of Jesus Christ, of course, to the Gentile nations. But this interesting story here about this man. This man is a, a, a very important man in the, in the land of Syria. But there's something about this man. This man has leprosy. And he knows, and we know that's a, a dreadful disease. And in those days, you know, he had a dead sense of how long I'm going to survive, how long I'm going to live. Now, maybe at, the, at that point, he has people around him. It was not as contagious. Maybe it was in the beginning. But, of course, we know from, from, from history and from the Old Testament that people, when they got to a certain point, they were, they were actually they, they put them outside the city walls. They, they separated them so it wouldn't be contamination or other people wouldn't catch the same disease. And it was not because they didn't love the people that had those diseases. It was because for the sake of health. So everybody else didn't get it what they, they had. They even have belts on them when they walk. They would scream unclean, unclean. So people would walk away from them. So what we see right here is uh, uh, the description. Let's look at this, this uh, message here from several points. And we see the description of Naaman. Look what it says in verse 1. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, look what it says, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, and he was a leper. So it, it, verse 1 describes literally this guy. Now, captain, Naaman, captain of the army of the king, uh, of, the king of, of Syria, he was a great man with his master and highly respected, we believe so, because the position that he had. And so the, the, the man was, was so a warrior right here, but he's also, the Bible describes the last one, he was a leper. So in this we have a picture, so to speak, of a sinner before he comes to, to know the Lord. Naaman comes from, uh, uh, Naaman, uh, you think about leprosy in the Bible, is, it, it describes a, a point of sin, so to speak. But there's not, I mean, you don't, don't confuse the both. I mean, leprosy is leprosy, sin is sin. But, you know, uh, we have to understand what leprosy does, did that in those days. It will kill the person, so does sin. Sin will kill the person too. You know, so uh, some people like to, to, to kind of play, play on words with those two things. But it's good to specify that. All right? Leprosy, what it does? In those days, it killed people. 
It was no remedy for it. Unless the Lord would do a miracle, the person would die of leprosy. Well, sin is the same thing. Unless the Lord intervenes, and the Lord in a person comes, asks Jesus to save them from their sin, what happens then? That person would die in their sins the same way. So, some people say, so it's a play on words here. Uh, we, don't, you know, we know one thing is different than the other, but we can put them together and say, uh, leprosy is just like sin, or a form of sin, okay? So, um, let's look here at letter A. Uh, what did this man was, as we described this man, he was a captain, verse 1. His position, he was captain of the army of the king of, uh, of, a, of Syria. This means he was, he was the general of the, the Syrian armies right here. This man was, was second in command to the king. This man was a man of great authority and position. Now, let me put it this way. Do you think if, so, if for somebody else that had leprosy, it would be with other people? No, this guy had a high position. So this guy was still among the people. This guy was still functioning normally. And you know what? The king was okay. You know why? Because of his position. If it's a little nobody or a little person with no position, I don't like the word. We use that word. They probably say, outside the city walls. We don't want you here. Okay, so not only was a captain, uh, let it be he was a popular man. His popularity and prestige, he was well known. This is noted in the words, was a great man. With his master. So he, he was a, uh, he's a popular man. He was maybe a national hero. Who knows? As a general, he also been victorious. Probably won many battles. And he was very known in the nation. Upon his head were, you know, the laurels and, and, and the wreaths of victory. And upon his chest, probably medals of honor and valor. So this man was well known. This man was a captain of the, of the uh, armies of Syria. This man was very popular, well known. Probably won a lot of victories. Uh, in, in battles, so, so they knew this guy. So uh, uh, let us see, we see it was honorable men. Then in verse 1, look what it says. In, let's look again verse 1. Look what it says. And it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. So he had a great name amongst men. He was honorable and honorable. See, this guy he was honorable because by him the Lord had given, given deliverance into Syria. And he was also a mighty man in valiant, but he was a leper. It's interesting here. We see a heathen uh, uh, man right here, a man that's not even saved. And look what it says, because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. You see how the Lord can work through unsaved people? He gave deliverance to Syria and God used him. Wow. So we see here. Where was I? Um. Miss my step here. Okay. So let's see. He was an honorable man. So he was a man that made a name for himself because of his fame. People honor what he was he he accomplished. He probably was a man of his word, of loyal to the king, a man who would give his life for his king. He probably was a man of his word, maybe upright, maybe truthful. This guy is a guy that was honorable, the Bible says. That means he was trustworthy. And the king had trust in him. Let it be. He was used of the Lord. We see this in verse 1. I noted that. Note that the Bible perspective, the truth regarding the source of victory and value to this man. And by him the Lord had given him deliverance in Syria. So he was a man whom God had used as, as he had uh, used Pharaoh and the kings of, uh, of Syria and Babylon. Remember in the Old Testament, God he worked through Pharaoh as well. 
Now we come right here, we see, we see the Lord using this guy, and he's a totally a unsaved person, doesn't, doesn't belong to the commonwealth of Israel, but God is using him. So his purpose and, and plans, but, but being so used does not save the person. Just because God is using an unsaved person doesn't mean that person is saved. Because ultimately, a person has to receive Jesus as personal Savior. I'll tell you. Today, um, this week, I've been very ticked off, ticked, ticked about Calvinists. And with the spread of stuff, the arrogance that these people exhibit on, on social media about, you know, uh, uh, that we have no self-will. Well, let me tell you this. If any of you are Calvinists that is watching, the reason why I'm here is because I willingly came to church. That's my self-will. It's amazing how, you know, can the Lord work through unsaved people? Yes. But does it mean they're saved? It means that eventually they have to receive Jesus as Savior. By the way, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just some people, whosoever. Don't spiritualize the verses. Okay, that's not, that's, I put, take, took, took that on my chest. So uh, I'm going <laughs> moving forward. Uh, so I'm ready for a great, great debate with these, these guys. So <laughs> letter A, E. He was a man with a health problem. This man, verse 1, this man was, was, very, uh, was very important in this country, but, but he, this man was honorable. He had many accomplishments, but this man had a disease called leprosy. And I tell you, leprosy was not something that anybody wanted those days. I mean, it's like cancer today. Who wants cancer? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that being named, oh, you have cancer. That's not a, a good thing to have. But this, these, the, in those days, leprosy was not something you want to have either. So it's not a good thing. So leprosy was like a death sentence to those who were diagnosed with it. So, look what it says there in verse 1. A name and captain, uh, let's look at in the, in the end of the verse, but he was a leper. So Now in scripture, leprosy portrays, uh, uh, portrays of sin in men's true spiritual condition without the saving grace or spiritual healing of God's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So regardless of how men may see us or we may see ourselves in God's holy eyes, we are leprous without the righteousness of Christ imputed to, uh, to us through faith in the person in the person and the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this one word gives us God's perspective to the true condition of this man, regardless of how he was seen through, uh, through by any man. This man was a leper, and the same thing about, what about us when we're not saved? We have a disease called sin. You know why? And every human being carries that disease. And that disease will take us to the deeps of hell. That's that disease. Can we be cured? Can anybody be cured of that disease? Absolutely. You know why? Because there's a one called the great physician on which come to the rescue of those who ask of them, of him. Is that, you know what the Bible says? I, I, no, no way I cast anyone out. Was, I'm paraphrasing the thing right here. You know, how, listen, how arrogant can a person be when a person decides that some, in their own mind, decides that some people were born to go to hell and some people were born to go to heaven? That doesn't fit in my mind. And the God that I know in the Bible does not, does not, hey, listen, Jesus was not a Calvinist. 
Jesus came to die, to be crucified, shed his blood on the cross, to whosoever call upon the name of the Lord. It is amazing, you know, the arrogance of people. And now they, 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 they begin to spiritualize the Bible. Well, don't take the Bible out of context and read for what it says. All right, so I'll get it out of my chest. Okay. <laughs> so before we continue, let's look at the subject of leprosy itself. Other than by God's direct intervention, it appears that the Hebrews had no cure for leprosy. Leprosy it was, like I said, a death sentence. In modern times, there are very act effective me uh, medicines available in leprosy. Patients are usually not isolated anymore. One thing is certain is the term leprosy refers to several types of, of skin disease, which uh, were rooted in, a, in a, or, or is in the bloodstreams. So when they were... Uh, this leprous type, and we know what it causes. It, 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 literally, people would die from it, and it would get you, your body so deformed and stuff, and eventually you would die from it. So it was not a very good thing to have, and you don't want that uh, people to have leprosy. So leprosy stood as a picture of sin and all its features and effects upon man and upon his relationship with God. So the significance of leprosy in the Bible is the leper was considered unclean, and had to be isolated from society to a certain degree. Whenever he went, he was to cry out, unclean, unclean. And he has to wear black with a hood covering his face and, and live outside the city walls. And he say, well, that's cruel. Well, that's one way to contain that from spreading to the population. That's the, 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 the way they knew how. So Nahum held a high position, but had a very great problem right here. He needed to understand that God often used the, person, the personal failure or sickness and problems of men as means to bring them to the end of themselves and to, to, uh, to acknowledge the Lord as his only source. And this man right here, he knew that he was going to die from that. And he came to the end of himself to a point that he listened to a little Jewish slave. He said, I'm going to try it. What I got to lose? I'm just going to go. And if it doesn't happen, then I, I'll go back to my place. But you know what? She said something I'm going to follow. I'm going to listen to. So, so God used the problems of life sometimes to, to bring people to the end of themselves and to understand there is a God in heaven who loved them, who loves them and wants to save them. So God uses problems of life for that. So, uh, Nahum went from his problem to God's solution, which was more than simply the healing of his leprosy. You know, Nahum left home based on words. You know, the slave said in the house, if he goes to the land of Israel, there is a prophet in Israel on which he's going to cure him. This man left on faith, believing in her words that he would get there and he would get healed. Why he was doing this? Because he, he was in the end of himself. He did, there was nothing he could do for it. Nobody could help him. So number two. The help of the little maid. Look at verse 2. Then the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Verse 3. And she, and, and she said unto her mistress, With God my Lord were that the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You see, she's not no doubts yet. She believes that if she, if he goes there to the land of Israel, it's interesting right here. Let me go back a little bit. 
You don't, see, don't you see that she does not bargain with them? She doesn't say, if you take me there, I will lead you to the prophet. When if he heals you, you, you do this for me. Because listen, she is away from home. No, she simply testifies and declares there is a God in Israel on which can take that disease from you. You see her faith? She doesn't bargain with them. Sometimes you say, okay, I know you're in trouble. I know you, you, you need some help. What can I get out of this? Let me bargain with you. I do this for you. What you can do for me? She doesn't. She simply, she simply declares and tells the, uh, Naaman's wife that said, if he goes there, there is a prophet in Israel. He's going to get healed. Wow. You know, very different from our society today. Our society is what I can get, not what I can give. So here, as we see how the Lord always have his messengers in the world. When there is a person whose heart has been prepared, God always has his messengers. Here God's messenger began with the little captive slave girl. In fact, by his uh, matchless grace, God worked through the unrighteous deed of Naaman's own army to bring this little girl, uh, slave girl into his own home to be the instrument of God's love. You see that? Okay, this man is sick of leprosy, and the Lord works it out. And you say, well, it's coincidence. It's not coincidence. It's God's working out to a point where they got this girl captive, bring this girl nowhere but to Nahum's uh, house. And there, he has, she has the opportunity actually to tell Nahum's wife, if he goes there, well, if they never captured that girl, he'll probably never knew. And he will die of leprosy. You see how the Lord works things out? Sometimes, you know, we don't see the way the Lord, the way the Lord, the way the Lord is working things out. But, you know, if we sit back and let the Lord be God in our lives, we can see Him bringing things together. You see, He uses those who are available, those who know and love the Lord. Here was a small girl, humble and obedient, insignificant to men, living under dying conditions, but with a heart for those who were lost, even those who were the enemies of Israel. She was a girl using the problems of life as opportunities of an open door to witness for God. You know, she was a slave. She was not in her home. She was, she was captive. She got captive there. You know what? And when she saw that, she, would talk, she told her enemies, if you go to Israel, you will be healed. You're talking about letting the Lord use me. You know, the bitterness. You got me out of my home, out of my father's house. I'm away from home. I don't even know what I am. Telling you, oh, I'm just going to let you die. No, she didn't do that. She didn't bargain. She didn't got vengeance. You know what she did? She just told them where to go find cure. Isn't that what we should do as Christians? We need to tell the world, those who are lost, where to find Jesus. That should be our goal. We're going to tell them, oh, where, 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 can you find, where can you find the great physician? It should be the way we live our lives in this world. So true, small, and weak, and insignificant, this little girl knew the God of Israel. And he knew, she knew that this man could be healed. She had enough faith for that. She was willing to point others to the most, uh, to the most 
uh, significant being in the, whole, in the universe, Yahweh of Israel, who alone could cure Nahum's disease. Keep in mind that this man without a miracle was like, he was more than likely was going to die of that disease. Why do you suppose Naaman listened to her? After all, could a slave know? Why did, he, why did he believe in her words? Why did he trust in her words? Is the title of the message. What I got to lose. I go there, and if it don't get cured, I just go back, you know. There's nothing I can do. I mean, you know what? There's not, no, nothing else to do. I'm either dying this disease and let myself just die because nothing I can, or just give it a try. So he takes her words to heart and just goes to the land of Israel. Number three, we see the journey to Israel. Look at verse four and verse five. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus say the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go, uh, go to, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with them ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten thousand changes of raiment. In verse 6 says, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Nahum uh, my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now read, understand this word right here. The king of Syria is telling the king of Israel when he got there that for him he was going to recover from leprosy. So this is, see the, this is a political thing going on in here. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he ran his clothes and said, Am I God? I mean, you know, when he got the message, the message was directed to him. <laughs> and he goes, Am I God? Can I heal people? I can't do anything. Where in the world this guy thinks, thinks I am? Look what it says. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me uh, to recover man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So he began to think the other way. He began to think, this guy just trying to do something against me to, 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 to get me killed or something else to attack our nation. Let's look at this several points. Letter A, the want for recognition. Look at verse, from verse 6, from verse 4 to verse 7. It reveals to us the natural tendencies and perspectives of a carnal mind people. He is is a typical man who recognized his need to some extent, but he wanted to have a part of his healing. He was was trusting first in power, position, and riches. You know, instead of of thinking in terms of God's grace, he naturally thought in terms of favoritism, in leverage of power, wealth, and what he can earn or buy. First in verse 4, Nahum went into the king with the news and to get permission from his king to go to Israel. So he did that right. So the king was willing to help, and that's good, but they immediately thought in terms of political and financial clause right here. You see this in verse 5 and verse 6. They thought they could buy the favor of God from the, from the prophet of Yahweh, of, from the Lord, to the king of Israel. They thought, you know, like if we bring all these gifts, you know, we're going to appease them, and they're going to take the disease from you. Is God impressed with our money? Is God impressed when we try to buy? No. God wants our faith, our hearts. He doesn't want our money. But people think they can buy God. If I do this for you, if I do this for you, oh, you're going to look at me with favor. See, it turns in a a political game right here. 
So Nahum was sent to the king of Israel rather than to the prophet of God. With him he took a large amount of silver and gold and, and clothes as payments. This was the, the typical cultural pattern of that day and, and ours as well, but it is not God's pattern. God doesn't work that way, but people in the world do that. You know, like those days, I'll go, oh, I'm going to bring this. It became a political thing. So now, with verse 7, we see the response of the king of Israel. First, he was, uh, this was the wrong response to the king. So he had, he, had, he had power, position, and wealth. Yet, unlike the little slave girl, he had no witness. Instead of immediately pointing Nahum to Elijah, the prophet of God, he was paralyzed with fear. You know, who pointed Nahum to Elijah? The slave girl. See, she was a slave. She was away from home. She was, she was not free. She was under the bondage of, of that man and his wife. And let me tell you, she pointed that man to the right place. Well, the king of Israel didn't do that. He, didn't, he knew that he cannot give cure or healing to, to the Naaman. But you know what? He was, just became, he was paralyzed with fear. Oh, this is a quarrel against me. He forgot something. He forgot God. That's what he forgot. He forgot the Lord right here. He was looking at himself. Can I? Am I God, he says. Well, there was a God in Israel for sure. Let's see. So you see, and instead of seeing the opportunity to demonstrate the, the power of the Lord, he, 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 thought, he, he thought only of himself. What a contrast, like I said, to this little girl right here. So, like the king of Israel, how quick sometimes we ought to read things into situations and expect the worst rather than take life situations as opportunities to serve the Lord and to see Him work. Why do we do this? Because of our carnal mind many times. We become carnal. And listen, you know, sometimes in bad situations, in, you know, in critical situations, God can, can, make, can make good things out of it. And a lot of things can come true out of that. But a lot of times we don't see it that way. We begin to justify it in our mind. We begin to, to use our carnal mind instead of, of our spiritual mind. You see, I think there's a lesson for us right here. There's a lesson of the growth of potential accountability, service, and suffering right here. To her accountability to him, to her master, her service to his wife, and to her own suffering being uh, uh, here from, uh, in a family, this little girl had learned to trust the Lord and then to think of others and, and their needs. That's what she did. She was trusting the Lord. She pointed people to God. And, and she trusted uh, in, the, in the Lord. So the, the king, on the other hand, considered himself accountable to, to no one. That was an error in his part. Father, he was always... Uh, he was always served, but others had failed to see himself as servants of the people. He, see, uh, uh, if he made a mistake. He failed to see himself as a servant of the people. You know, I put it like this. You know, a, pres a president is a servant of the people. That's why he's elected president, right? A senator is a servant of the people. But sometimes they forget who they are. They think they're there to be served. No. A king was there for, to serve the people, to serve his people. But many took that position into high powers and said, you serve me. Well, we serve you, but you ought to serve us. That's the way it should be. 
He said, think only, uh, thinking only of uh, himself was simply a natural product, product of the king's luxuries, uh, luxurious life that he lived. But now Nahum's standpoint right here was this, uh, uh, to do uh, what, what, what's going to happen to him right here. It's shattered part of his trust in his human resources here. Imagine he gets there and the king says, Am I God? He says, What in the world I came here for? He was literally left holding the bag of money in his leprous hand right there. He needed to learn, as all of us do, that we must never trust in the uncertainty of riches and of power and of position, but instead to trust only in God's grace. Money, power, and wealth cannot save anyone, make us or make us spiritual, uh, or make us, a, us an effective witness. Uh, it doesn't do that to us. Only, only when we trust Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, and trust Him in Him alone. So God's grace and, and His gift and blessing in Jesus can do that for us. Let's go to num- point number four. We see the unexpected, the unexpected invitation. Look at verse eight. And it was so when Elijah, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, "Wherefore, as thou rent thy clothes." Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, there was a little slave in the land of Syria. She pointed Naaman to the Lord. There was a king of Israel, in Israel who failed miserably to point the same man in the right direction. Let me put it this way. There are many Christians in our world today who are very carnal-minded. You're not pointing no one to Christ. They try to blend with the crowd and try to be just like the world. They're not pointing no one to Christ because people see that and say, you're a Christian? You see, this little girl was faithful to God right in her situation, in her problems, away from home, from mom and dad, away from her house, away from her culture. She pointed her master to the Lord. The king failed. And somehow, somewhere, Elijah heard of what happened there. And she called for that man to come to him. Now some will fail in their responsibilities and ministry. The Lord watches over the, the, the seeking soul. And at just the right moment, he sends one to his own with whatever is necessary to take the seeking person another step towards the Lord in salvation. You know, when people begin to... It was a subject of Calvinism. When people begin to seek God, they will find God. When they begin to want to, to seek God, they will find God. I remember all the years I lived in Warwick, I never heard of First Baptist Church. And it was just up the street from my house. When we got saved and we began to go to church, how could I never see this church here? Same thing with many other things. You know what? When we begin to seek God, God says, I'm not going to hide from you. Oh, he was predestined. No such, no such thing as that. No such thing as that. Predestined. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. So, what we see right here, we see this unexpected invitation right here. So Elijah, on the other hand, represents the Lord right here. Elijah, as God's representative, said, let him come to me. 
words which the Lord wants to speak to every unsaved person for Nahum to come to know that there was a prophet in Israel. It was to come to know that the, the, there was a prophet in Israel right here. So he said, let him come to me. Let him, let's look at letter A, the actions of Elijah. Look at verse 9. And Ammon came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And Elijah sent, uh, uh, sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Well, what Elijah does in this passage may seem rude, isn't it? I'm like, all right. He's in the house. <laughs> the guy comes, right? You know, like, okay. Why did Elijah didn't go out there and say, hey, how are you? Good to see you. You come here for, for help. I'm going to take care of you. You know, you're going to do this? No. He's, look what he says. He says, And then he came with his horses with the chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash. So what Elijah does, it might seem rude here. In fact, it would be, he, he, he himself would be severely, severely criticized by many church members today in our political correctness society, would say, how rude is that guy? Where in the world? How, how do you treat people? Well, his actions would be reviewed as unloving, rude, and arrogant. Where is the hospitality right here? Now, you know, send the messenger, go out, go and do that. But what, the, what the Elijah did was really an act of love. He said, well, one minute. It was a means of showing them as pride, so that he could receive God's grace and, and begin to count for God himself, uh, on God himself. Should Nahum react, and, and uh, he, might be, he might want to even leave out of there the way he was received, but note that Elijah didn't run after him. It appears he simply turned it over to the sovereignty of God, who, who then worked through the life of another uh, to bring Nahum to a census here. As long as Nahum was proud, he would never obey the Lord uh, it would never be a Lord in a humble believer of faith right here. So you see, self-conceit and the various ego trips of men are typical of, unsaved, of an unsaved heart and even of the carnal-minded Christian. It is so hard to realize just who we are, mere creatures, and to submit to God's plan. How many people do not want to submit to God's plan? All right. The plan of salvation is the same plan since the beginning of time. It didn't change. The same simple plan. It's not difficult. It requires faith. It, requ it requires humbleness of heart. And what men do? I don't want this. It's got to be another way. And God's plan is still the same. So they, they, they push God aside. You see, this man, we have to understand right here something about this man. What he's going to hear... He's going to make him mad. Because what Elijah tells him, you go to the Jordan River. Well, a man of a statue, a man with the prestige name that he has, I ain't going there. You see the arrogance? See, sometimes we must let God be God in our lives if we really want to see the blessings of the Lord in our lives. Let it be we see the reaction of Naaman. Look at verse 11. But Naaman was wroth. See, he got angry. Can you imagine? How dare you even say that? And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. You see? And stand and call on the name of the Lord as God. 
and strike his, his hand over the place and recover uh, the leper. You, you, see, you see what he says right here? You see what he says right here? He's very clear. First of all, he says he was, the Bible says he was wroth. He was angry. He says he went away. He walked away. And he says, I told you, he will surely come out. So he was offended by uh, uh, Elijah not coming out. He's totally offended by his actions. And he says, he surely would come on the, on the, name, on the name of his God. Oh, he admit right here that the God of Israel was not his God. You see, Naaman's reaction to Elijah's instruction were not the best. He was humiliated. Now, let me put it this way. Would you? If you were there, would you be humiliated? The guy's telling me to go out in the Jordan River. He not even come outside and greet me. I waste my time coming here. Again, what do you got to lose, Naaman? You're going to die of leprosy anywhere. What do you got to lose? You know what he needed to get? That's pride and arrogance needs to calm down. Because when the pride goes away and arrogance goes away, humility comes in, I will walk into Jordan River with no problem. You see, he was humiliated. To him, the instructions were foolish and a joke. He was thinking, why should I go wash in the muddy Jordan River in Israel when I have clear streams of water in Damascus? For all, all the absurd ideas, note that the human reasoning here. Why am I going to do this when I could just stay home and do that? You know, why am I going to do this? This doesn't make any sense to me. Salvation doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. You know why people don't get saved? Because salvation doesn't make any sense to a lot of people. You know why? Because their hearts are hard. They're rationalizing their own minds. How could, how could Jesus save me? I, you know, you know, I hear him all, all the time. I mean, it takes humility and humbleness of heart to actually receive Jesus as saved. Listen, this is a, such a great miracle that even the heavens rejoice when someone gets saved. It's a great miracle because for man in their own arrogance and self-will and, and, and pride to say, I submit to what Jesus has done. We live in a society today that we really don't want to submit to anything. This guy thought it was absurd. And the human reasoning here, the application is, if a cure comes through bathing in a stream, then I have better streams in which to bathe myself. You see, the world standard and idea of salvation seems so much more logical in comparison to God's, which seems foolish and so simplistic. Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and you shall be clean. I could, I could picture in my mind Nahum's face. Really? <laughs> really? I came all the way from Syria to here for you to tell me this? Really? You want me to go in that muddy river and I'm going to get cured. I should have just stayed home. Naaman, what you got to lose? Oh, goodness. But see, and so the Bible teaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. But simple faith is not, is not so simple for many people. Ironically, Naaman was willing to pay any price, willing to, to do any great thing, Deed of uh, uh, to make any 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 pilgrimage, but he was unwilling to obey a simple command: wash and be clean. He was willing to pay money. He, he brought all the goodness, all the, those treasures with him. He was willing to travel all the, all the way to Israel. One thing he was not willing to do: 
just go in the Jordan River and get water. Wow. So, what's the issue here? The washing or pride? I think it was pride. He was offended. It was the obedience of faith. It was personal faith in the command of the prophet and not the evidence of his faith washing which cured him. It was a simple faith in the word of God. Washing was simply the fruit or the result. So, so, so that man, man are saved simply and solely by the obedience of faith, by believing the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So the obedience of God, uh, obedience God's ask is the obedience of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, a person can come and go to the ritual and do all that stuff. And in the end, if there's no faith, there's no salvation. It's got to be faith. So if this man, he ordered to be clean of his disease, he needed some faith. By his ego and his reason, by his own experience and desires, he wants things his own way. He wants to be saved his way. He wants to be spiritual his own way. He wants to, to operate his own way. He wants, he wants to be clean of leprosy his own way. But the message was the same. Go to the Jordan, Jordan River and be clean. So Satan, who played on Naaman's pride right here, had pointed the way in which he had been treated. Naaman, Naaman a great uh, uh, person right here, had come to make a request of a of a king and pay, uh, pay a, a bunch of money right to, so he can get his disease taken away. But now in the simplicity of the moment, what happens here? He denies that. Now let's do an application here. So uh, let's do a little application here. So what are some of key lessons we can learn from this story? Number one, God is constantly at work to lead people to himself no matter how, how dark the condition. God is always at work. The Spirit of God is in the, in the earth, always convicting men of sin so they can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, God uses any committed believer, no matter how ordinary or, or, or insignificant we may think we are. God can use all of us as instruments to lead people to the, his, his saving grace. Number three, the grace of God cannot be bought with silver and gold or power or position. We must come to God in faith and believe as revelation in the, in the scripture. We must come to God by faith. Number five, in fact, power and position, silver and gold, can be a hindrance and an impediment to, to come into Christ as well to, 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 be in a, to have effective service for the Lord. A lot of people who have a lot of money, and I'll say all of them, they want nothing to do with God. God is insignificant to them because what they have is money is their God. I'm not saying that's all, all people. There are many people who are very wealthy and love Jesus, for sure. So two of the greatest hindrances to experiencing God's blessing for believers and unbelievers are like our pride, our opinions. Our pride, Naaman almost lost out because of his pride. Our opinions, Naaman almost lost out because his thinking was contrary to Scripture. All appeared to be lost and appeared Satan has won and Naaman was about to leave and to go home because he was highly offended the way he was treated. And he was going home, but we're going to see, let us see, the persuasion of the servants. Look at let us see, verse 13. And the servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then 
when he said to thee, wash and be clean. You see the simplicity? Of the way? They, listen, the Lord is using the, his own servants to put something in the guy's head. And say, listen, listen up. What you got to lose here? Just go over there and wash yourself. You got to, if you don't get clean, you don't get clean. At least you get wet anyway. But I mean, what you got to lose, what you got to lose with this? It's interesting that the Lord is using His own servants to open the guy's mind. Sometimes, you know, our pride and our arrogance sometimes causes us to get blind. And we cannot see ahead of us. And this man was so angry, so mad that he was about just to go home and go home and die of leprosy. That's what's going to happen to him. So, so Naaman's servants give him some good, wise counseling here. Actually, that was a, a very practical counseling. In other words, what you got to lose? Just go, 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 go try it. We were right here. Just go in there. Take a, take a dip in the water. Just go there. Notice the following points about the wisdom of the answer and answer of the tongue as, and as they, as they speak to the guy right here. Number one, they were, they were courteous to him. Look at this ad. They call Naaman my father. Uh, showing respect and submission to the authority to who he was. He was a general. They, so they respect him. They choose their words carefully as they might persuade Naaman and help him. You know, sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to use wise words to persuade people. You know what you know? If you get into an argument about somebody about Jesus, you're not going to, more than likely they're not going to get saved. They're going to argue with you back. I, I learned this way. When people start asking me all kinds of questions, you know what? I just, I just try to give them the gospel. You know why? Because they don't, they don't know theology. They don't know, they don't know doctrine. So why in the world am I going to get into a doctrine discussion with somebody that had no clue what the Bible teaches? Give them the gospel. Be simple. Be wise. So number two, they spoke from what they knew about Naaman. So he, he was proud and, 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 and courageous. They knew that he was willing to do a, a great deed, but he was, it was precisely this Naaman's pride and his personal opinion which was keeping Naaman from being healed. So the fourth concern, the, the, the concern that servants uh, saw is just to persuade him in, in a wise way. So what you got to lose him and just go and do it. I'm sorry. Go and do it. They were able to see from their more humble state and, and perspective that this was designed to demonstrate the power of God of Israel right there. They said, go and do it. Now hear me, please. This simple command giving to Naaman right here, to Naaman, uh, is a beautiful illustration of the simplicity of the gospel message of salvation. Salvation is a simple act of faith in Jesus alone. Salvation is very simple. Why some people complicate it? A little girl, a little boy can't understand the message of salvation. It's very simple. People complicate it. People put all kinds of things on it. Faith in the one thing we can't do without or do what we can do without, uh, without doing anything. Faith is, is, the, is the recognition of God's ability and the, uh, reputa uh, and, and the reputation of ours. Of course, there are those who read this passage and use it to promote baptismal regeneration, but the analogy of Scripture and the abundance of, 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 of clear passage teaches us that water, ba uh, uh, us that water baptism, as, as important as it is, does not save anyone. 
What is water baptism? Water baptism is a public testimony of what? Our faith in the Lord. We're going to have that this coming Sunday. We, we demonstrate publicly that we receive Jesus as our personal Savior. It takes humbleness to go to the waters of baptism, doesn't it? It takes humbleness to literally to go change clothes in front of people, you know what? Being baptized in the name of the Lord and, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It takes humbleness. It takes humbleness for this man who has positioned his prestige to go and put himself in a muddy, uh, muddy Jordan River here. So faith is the one thing that we can do without, uh, uh, without doing anything. So, if that is true, then water, like I said, uh, uh, water baptism save anyone is, is a public demonstration of our faith. So later day we see the cleansing of Naaman. The cleansing, verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the men of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I think he was glad he did it. Can you imagine? All right. He went to the king. The king got mad. They, they guide him to Elijah. Elijah got there. He didn't like what Elijah did. He was pretty mad at it. He was just about to go home. The Lord uses his servants to just put some, some good thoughts in his mind. And he changes his mind. He said, oh, okay, what I got to lose? I might as well, might as well do it. I'm already here. Might as well do it. And he does it. And you know what? It happened just like Elijah said. The immediate cleansing illustrates the complete and instantaneous na uh, nature of us of salvation. We note that he was clean, clean right according to the saying of the men of God. Salvation is always and only according to the word of God and never according to our feelings or emotions or human reason. Let me, I'm trying to compare one with the other here. But let me tell you, salvation is not based on feelings. I feel that I got saved. That's not salvation. Salvation is something that we do. We receive Jesus as our Savior. In that moment, we put our faith and trust in Him. Well, but I don't feel like I'm saved. That's because maybe you sin, and that's why you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin, so you can feel like you're a child of God. But right here, we see, we see what He did right here. He did exactly, He finally got let His pride and, 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 and uh, down and His arrogance and got, humble Himself, walk in the river, dipped Himself seven times, and boom, there it is. Letter E, the gratitude and response of Naaman. Verse 15, And he returned to the men of God, he and his, all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold now, I know that there is, a, there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing to thy servant. Now we see, look, look at the change right here. Look at the change. What he does right here says, before he named the God of Israel, he said that was the God of Elijah. Right here he says, I know there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. And now instead of trying to pay, he wants to be a blessing. Look what it says, I pray thee, take a blessing to thy servant. See, instead of saying, I brought all this goodies. No, I want to be a blessing to you now. Now see, you see the change of thing right here? What happened? He knew, he knew that he was going to die of leprosy. He, he knew that was going to happen. Eventually, he will die of that disease. He knew that was a miracle that happened there. Can you imagine? I'm just going to dip myself in the water and get healed. It was not like he takes some medicines or gets some x-rays and takes some, some more kind of treatments. No, he just dipped himself in the water. That's what he did. 
He knew a miracle happened to him here. They're changing right here. He was a new man right here. He recognized there was a God in Israel. There was no other God in the earth like him. And he wanted now he wanted to be a blessing instead of paying. You see, we give because of the gratitude of our hearts, isn't it? That's how we give. We give because of the gratitude of our hearts. Not trying to pay off. He didn't go to Elijah and try to pay him for his service. He just wanted to be a blessing. I conclude with this, folks. This man learned a lesson that he had nothing to lose but everything to gain. He had a death sentence on himself because of his leprosy. He fought with his arrogance. The Lord used two servants, his servants here, to put some sense in his mind. And when he came to the end of himself and said, okay, what I got to lose? Might as well try it. I'm already here. And now we see him totally healed, a changed man. Now he goes back to Elijah and what he does. He wants to be a blessing to Elijah. He'll say, I want to pay for it. No, he wants to be a blessing to him. You see what God does in our lives? That's what God does. He changes us. Change our thinking. Changes us. I tell you what, and the more blessing God gives us, the more we change and say, indeed, there is a God who loves us and cares, cares about us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this passage of Scripture tonight. And Lord, may we understand, Lord, that uh, there is a God, the same God that there is in Israel, is the same God that we worship today, a God as a God of, that does the impossible in our lives. And I pray, Father, help us, Lord, to be like that slave girl wherever we go, to be a testimony, to point people to the saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, people in this world desperately need you, Lord. May we be, may we be that, uh, that uh, servant, may we be that person, Lord, that is uh, use of you, Lord, to bring people to you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.